We are thinking through the Upper Room Discourse, our Lord's final sermon. He's hours away from his betrayal and his ultimate crucifixion. One of the godly Puritans, Thomas Goodwin once said, when you read the Upper Room Discourse, you are being given a window into the heart of Christ. It is a sermon filled with so many precious promises. The promise that people will know we're disciples of Jesus if we love each other. It's a promise that he will prepare a place for us in the Father's house. It's, he will promise that when we pray in Jesus' name, meaning being in prayer consistent with what Jesus would ask for, for our joy and God's glory, he will answer us. There's even this really staggering promise in the 14th of John where he declares that we will do greater works than the works of Jesus. We wonder how that could be possible except to say that in these days, far more people are going to far more places in the world to speak the gospel. And since Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to us, more people have been and continue to be led to Christ. We live in the age of the greater works for the glory of Jesus. And the promises go on and on. If we abide in Christ, we'll bear much fruit to the glory of the Father, that he will give us his peace in the midst of trouble. And when you listen to his words, you hear something of the profound heart of Jesus. It is equally true that in the opening scene of the upper room, we hear and see the heart of Christ by means of his example. Where the first thing we see in the 13th of John that we've already studied is how Jesus is a humble servant and how he calls us to humbly serve for the good of other people and for his glory. Do you recall that story we looked at a few weeks ago? It's so familiar. Jesus is in the upper room. It's before he's actually started his formal teaching. No one is willing to wash the disciples' dirty feet. They have traveled some distance to get there. There's no servant in the room to perform the menial task. And we are told that Jesus simply rises from the table. He lays aside his outer garments and he ties around his waist a towel and he takes a basin of water going around washing all the feet of the disciples. It is a profound moment. It is an act of humblest, selfless love. And Jesus even takes the time to wash the dirty, smelly feet of Judas, who will soon betray him. If you skip over verses 6 through 11, in verse 12, Jesus begins to explain why he has washed their feet. Where Jesus says, you call me master and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should do as I have done. You should wash one another's feet. These disciples had been arguing before they arrived in the upper room about who is the greatest among the 12, who has the right and the prerogative to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus, who is first in the kingdom of God. And on the way to the upper room, Jesus had answered, the greatest among you is the one who serves. And now he is putting a picture to that reality. The one who is supremely great arose from the table that he might go low. That he might set an example of what it means to humbly serve each other. I'm reasonably sure that Peter never forgot that moment because we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, all of you, he's talking to Christians, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's helpful to know that the word he uses there, clothe, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That word and the language behind it refers to a servant tying a towel around his waist that the servant may go low. We are always called to be a people of the towel. To clothe ourselves with humility that we may be Jesus-like in how we feel toward each other and how we serve each other. We have talked about that truth. I come back as promised to John 13 verses 6 through 11 because there is a truth embedded in those verses in Jesus' face-to-face -face encounter with Peter. There is a truth that takes us to a different level of meaning. It takes us and shows us a deeper spiritual truth that every believing person should know. Let me read the verses for you, and then we will break the verses down. Verse 6 of chapter 13. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. 
for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. I think if you understand these verses, you will be able to discern that there is a deeper spiritual meaning in these verses. I want to state the meaning for you first without explanation so that you will be on the lookout for it and eventually we will understand it and hopefully apply it to our lives. The, the deeper truth is this. When it comes to Jesus, there are two kinds of cleansing. There is what we might call a complete cleansing and a continuing cleansing. The complete cleansing is when Jesus saves you. When he washes away your sin and mine. And he makes us his own forever. He gives us full eternal forgiveness. But the second kind of cleansing is the cleansing we need every day. Where spiritually speaking, Jesus washes our feet, meaning he cleanses us from our day-to-day -day sins. That's a huge truth in Christian living. Let's work our way through the narrative to see if it is so. Again, we read verses six and seven. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. As the Lord Jesus moves around the upper room to wash the encrusted dirty feet of the disciples, he comes to Peter. And he said, Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It is common sense to notice that Peter is not really asking a question so much as registering a protest. Here is a person who knows it's inappropriate for Jesus to wash his feet. And the reason is because he is a disciple. Disciples in the ancient world were called by God to follow rabbis. And it was the duty of a disciple to listen carefully to their master, to their rabbi. And they were to be careful to obey the teaching of their master as well as emulate his lifestyle. It was never expected that a master would serve the disciples. It was the other way around. And so when he comes to Peter, Peter expresses how inappropriate this act is, though it does beg the question, why didn't he wash Jesus' feet? But let me tell you this, lay off Peter. 
He's got enough stuff in the Bible to keep him busy. But Jesus answers rather incredibly. He simply says, Peter, you don't get it. You lack understanding in this moment. And then he says, later, you will understand. The word later does not refer to later in a few seconds. Because a few seconds later, he explained why he washed the feet. Instead, it's a more forceful word that requires you to look later down the road. After the events of this upper room, later. Meaning after the cross where he secures our salvation. And after the resurrection, when we learn that the Father accepts the Son's sacrifice. And later, after the Holy Spirit comes, whom Jesus calls the Spirit of truth, telling us in a few chapters later that the Spirit of truth will give us understanding. That he will guide us into all truth. And so when that future time comes, Peter and the disciples will get it. They will understand. So already Jesus is hinting at a deeper spiritual level of meaning. How does Peter respond? Verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. When Peter says no, it is not a flippant sort of casual utterance. Nah. The no is emphatic. It's not going to happen. You will never bow before me and take into your holy hands my dirty, smelly feet and wash them. In fact, most of the commentators say that this is so emphatic that it could be translated, never in all eternity will you ever wash my feet. And Jesus says back to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand that statement. If I do not wash you, you don't belong to me. I'm not yours and you're not mine. And there is a subtle shift here. Jesus did not say to Peter, if I do not wash your feet. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's not a small difference. Jesus did not Assume that we would say, oh, he means foot washing because that's what he's up to. Jesus is saying, if I don't wash you, and not just your feet, you cannot be mine. 
and I will not be yours. And how do we know we should take it that way? Impulsive Peter. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head and hands as well. Here is a man who wants to have a part with Jesus. He wants to belong to Jesus. Yes, he's going to deny him later. As you do from time to time in your life. But he wanted to be with Jesus and belong to him. And so he says, Jesus, start at the bottom of my feet and go all the way up to the top of my head. It's as though Peter were saying to Jesus, if I must be cleaned by you so I can belong to you, then give me a thorough cleansing. And it is at this very moment that Jesus aims to make clear that deeper spiritual lesson. And verse 10 is the key. Please don't miss it. We read, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus is making use of a physical action, a physical picture to make a spiritual lesson. Imagine for a moment that you lived in Jesus' day and you receive an invitation to attend a banquet. And so before going to this banquet, you would take a bath. You would get thoroughly clean from toe to head. And you would put on clean garments and your sandal shoes, and you would go to the home of the one holding the banquet. When you arrive at the home, you don't ask for a full bath because you don't need one but you would expect that there would be someone there to perform the menial task of cleaning your feet, of washing your feet. And with that cultural action in mind, again, verse 10 reads, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And then he switches to the, the spiritual. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he said, not all of you who are clean, he's referring to Judas, who will betray him. But Jesus is no longer using physical images and physical 
uh, pictures and words. Instead, he is not saying Judas didn't take a bath before he got here. You know you can't read it that way. Judas forgot to take his bath. Judas, go home. No. He is saying the one person in this room who is not clean is Judas because he's the betrayer. He is the one responsible for my being handed over to be crucified. But the rest of you are clean. But then notice the tweak he gives it. You are clean, but you still need to have your feet washed. Be patient, we're getting there. So verse 10 says yet again, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. But they still need to have their feet washed. And when you spiritualize these verses, which I believe we are given permission by Jesus to do, what is happening here is that Jesus is using the bath at home and the foot washing at the guest house to picture for us two levels of cleansing. The first being that of complete cleansing. You've had a full bath. You are clean. But after the journey, you need your feet clean. And so as we ponder the scriptures and listen to Jesus, I am among those who are persuaded that Jesus is, first of all, talking about a complete cleansing. Where elsewhere in the Bible we read these words. John 15, verse 13. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean. Because I have told you the gospel. I've explained to you the word of truth. You have embraced me. You are clean. Judas isn't clean. You're clean. And then in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son purifies us from all sin. In the other translations, it says, cleanses us from all sins. So the Jesus of the upper room goes to the cross. He takes our sin upon himself as our legal and moral guilt, and he pays the price that we might not suffer the justice owed us but the eternity given to us. And he does so by means of his blood. You better be glad I can't sing. If I would sing, we would have a deep down from where I am south, holiness singing opportunity. I'm just going to read to you. This has always been our theology. 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And a very unfamiliar hymn. Oh, now I see the cleansing wave, the fountain deep and wide. Jesus, my Lord, mighty to save, points to his wounded side. The cleansing stream I see, I see. I plunge and oh, it cleanseth me. Oh, praise the Lord, it cleanseth me. It cleanseth me. Yes, cleanseth me. Amazing grace, tis heaven below to feel the blood applied. And Jesus, only Jesus knows, my Jesus crucified. The cleansing stream I see, I see. I plunge and oh, it cleanses me. Oh, praise the Lord, it cleanseth me. It cleanseth me, yes, cleanseth me. One more. It's a question. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Well, have you? Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood? Of lamb. You can't know eternal grace if you are not completely cleansed by the shed blood of the crucified Lord. You are clean, he says, and oh, that his verdict over us would be Mitchell. You're already clean. It's a once for all time cleansing. You have received free and full forgiveness forever. All of you are clean except Judas. In our sermon next week, the text is going to say about Judas. He went out to betray Jesus, and it was night, which has a deeper level of meaning. It was the night of his eternal justice. You're all clean because the 11 had received Christ. They had been cleansed, John told us, by the word they had already heard. But there's a second kind of cleansing. It is a continual cleansing because as long as you live in this world, you are to some degree going to rub up against its filth. And you are not going to live sinless. And while you don't have to go back for the full cleansing, you need to go to Jesus every day and get his daily pardon. And cleansing. In 1 John, I trust that the Lord will keep this voice going for five more minutes. <clears throat> uh, in 1 John 
1, 8, and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. No Christian will ever confess and it be true that he has no sin, that she has no sin. But he goes on to say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And again, the other versions read, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word confess means to agree with, to agree with, to call our sin what God calls our sin. And to come to him and ask his daily pardon. Do you remember we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What comes next is not a new thought. It's a continuation of the same sentence. Give us today our daily bread and today forgive us of our sins. This is why in verse 10 again, Jesus says, those who have had a bath, the bath of salvation, the promise of free and full forgiveness forever is yours. You've had a bath, you are clean. And by the way, did you know what the word forgiveness means? To have your slate wiped clean. That big old list of your ugly old sins, wiped clean. Wiped clean by Jesus. But we are to go to him continually and ask him to forgive us. Peter said this. Listen, I'm about done. Peter said this. Never in all eternity will you wash my feet. Jesus said, later, you'll understand. Do you understand that every day of your life until you arrive in heaven, the high and holy king of heaven, our Lord and our God, who is worshiped today and will be worshiped forever, He washes your feet every day. It's a spiritual washing. Those of you who are clean, you still need, Jesus said, to have your feet washed. And that high and holy king comes to you and he comes to me for he is still a humble servant. And he stoops at our feet spiritually and washes them. He cleans them up. He cleans the soul so that our sins are forgiven, that we might go out another day and love and worship Him. It's a picture you ought to hold in your mind. He who is the center of heaven's praise is still the humble servant who forgives us. How do we ever get over that? Let us pray. 
So, Father in heaven, make us to see Jesus exalted in supremacy, reigning at the highest pinnacle in the universe. And help us to see him bent over us in love, always forgiving. Thank you that he will never see a sin in us so horrible that he won't forgive. Thank you, Jesus, when we arrive in heaven someday, you will no longer have to serve us that way. And we will never see a slate with any of our sins written on it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.